Welcome to My Emmy Story, a podcast about real life and real stories. This podcast is a product of Michelle's Events, where we bring your stories to life. Log on to MyEmmyStory.com to learn more about us, see some of our work, check out our partners, find out more about our guests, or listen to extended guest conversations. Now, join our co-hosts, Denise and Robbie Jerome, as they talk with our next guest to discover their story. Well, good afternoon. I am Denise Jerome with Miami Story, here with my husband, Robbie Jerome. And today, our guest is Sarah DeVacher Wisdom. And she is the, I'm going to say it, new uh, president and CEO with GLI, or Greater Louisville, Inc., and um, she has come into an exciting and changing time with GLI as in this role. Um, formerly, she has actually been with GLI for about eight years, and she was the COO for about six years prior to this new um, status that she has with the chamber. And she's done public affairs, she's done strategy, she's done government affairs, and she is the first woman in GLI's history to ever be in this role which is another exciting thing. And to top it all off, in uh, 2019, this chamber won the American Champion, excuse me, the American Chamber of Commerce Executives 2019 Large Chamber of the Year, which is like the national championship in the chamber industry. So thanks so much for joining us today, Sarah. A pleasure to be with you, Denise. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, I tell you what, there's so much to talk to you about, um, but I do want to unpack a little bit um, about where you kind of came from and where you grew up and everything. I know you are not from Louisville. You are from Tennessee, correct? Right on the Tennessee line, but technically still in Kentucky. Oh, Holland, okay. Kentucky, yes. Holland. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, I guess, um, your family and how, where you grew up and went to college and, and how did you get to where you are right now? Well, Holland, Kentucky, as you might imagine from the name and the fact that you probably haven't heard of it, is a very rural area of Kentucky. So I grew up and spent a lot of time on the farm. Uh, my family had lots of tobacco, chickens, orchards, uh, vegetables, all kinds of uh, different things to be involved in and different ways to stay active and work. So um, growing up in rural Kentucky was good in one way because it allowed me to really learn how to, um, I guess, entertain myself. It, it enabled me to be alone, be in the quiet, but then also um, really focus on what mattered, and that was my family. So I had a tremendous influence with my grandmother, who I continue to talk to every day. She is 91 years old. Uh, but I will also say that growing up in rural Kentucky also left me with this sense of, um, I guess, vulnerability when it came to moving to a bigger area. So I, I went to, to college at age 16 because I had graduated early and, um, and, and just had you know, gotten all these AP credits. It was a good opportunity for me to leave home. But because I hadn't really spent any time in a larger city, it was also rather terrifying. So I went to Western Kentucky University and looking back now, Bowling Green seems so much smaller than where I am here in Louisville. But at the time it was very big compared to that tobacco farm. So I remember driving to college on my first day and just my, my knuckles were white, just terrified. 
uh, driving, not even knowing what to expect when I got to college, but having grown up in a very rural area and having grown up in unfortunate circumstances, meaning not not a lot of resources, um, so I would say poverty um, compared to most people, I will say that um, it was my dream as a, as a youngster to go to college. I, I'm a first-generation college student, and going to college was my dream. So I had to overcome that fear and really focus on getting to school and getting through school and doing well so that I could have the kind of career that I wanted and the kind of career that I have today. That's really, um, that's interesting that you um, classified for where you can use said lack of resources, because I was actually talking to Rob before here. And I said, if, if I had to profile you, you are like, you are the aura of professionalism. Like every time I look at you, you are so put together in everything oh, you do, you. <laughs> in the way you dress, in the way you present, in the way you speak, in the way that you're just, you know, you study, I don't say study, but you are definitely prepared for everything that you do. So um, you definitely have uh, send out the the right message for the the position that you're holding right now, for sure. Well, thank you so much. I you know, I, I honestly feel like I had to develop that. That was not something where I had any sort of a key role model, but I really had to watch how other professional women interacted and find ways to replicate that in my own life. Because like I said, first generation college student. Um, so thank you. I appreciate that feedback. It's interesting because, you know, sometimes, uh, um, you know, I've got three older brothers and, you know, we're all same, but different as well. And, and that sometimes, uh, I, I feel like I have a little bit more drive in, in that than, you know, than maybe a couple of my other brothers. So it's interesting to hear your story, how you came from a farm and decided that you wanted something different, right. And then you kind of, uh, put the effort in to do it. So congratulations on that. It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So I read, I read someplace that uh, you like ballroom dancing. That's right. Yes. It's been the thing that we've missed the most this year. <laughs> so what kind of dancing do you guys do? What kind of ballroom dances? Well, we have a lot of favorites. We love Argentine tango. We love salsa. That's probably my husband's favorite. And I guess it's mine too. Uh, but I also just love a good waltz and, you know, all the smooth dances. There are very few dances that I don't like. And I very much miss the the festivity that we had because we we went to dances probably once or twice a week. And obviously due to the pandemic that has been restricted. And uh, even though we could dance by ourselves at home, there's just not that same kind of feeling of festivity. So um, I, and in fact, growing up, that was something I always wanted to do as well. I thought it looked very graceful and I would watch KET and, and the dancing competitions on there. And so when I got close enough to Louisville, which had ballroom dancing, I started coming to Louisville for lessons, but, um, you know, I had to seek those out. Um, and I even tried in Bowling Green, but there weren't really any close by. So, um, met my husband after, I guess I had been dancing for 13 years before I met him and the dance community isn't that big. So it was kind of interesting that it took that long to meet him, but he had been dancing for 30 years. So, um, there was a natural connection there and it continues to, to keep us close, even though we haven't done it in several months. <laughs> so how did you, when you went to school at Western Kentucky, were you studying like political science? Were you trying to get into the government affairs world? I was, you know, I'm, I actually, from the age of seven knew that I wanted to be a lobbyist 
And I continue to be a registered lobbyist, even though it's not what I do every single day. I'm, you know, as the CEO, I have more responsibilities than that, but I continue to serve as a strong advocate for the business community. That's what I see my job, my current job as. But, um, you know, at the age of seven, I was watching midterm debates and it was during the Clinton presidential race um, or the presidential term midterm debates. And um, I was just fascinated by the, the debates by lobbyists that were clearly influencing policy. And I had grown up thinking that I wanted to be a lawyer because where I grew up, it was the doctors and the lawyers that made money and there weren't that many of them. So I had in my head that I had to be one of those two things. And I didn't want to be a doctor because I just, I, I didn't really want to <laughs> be around blood. So, um, you know, I thought I'm going to be a lawyer. And then I learned about being a lobbyist and I thought this is something that I could really, really enjoy doing. And so went to Western and really focused on political science and also public relations because I thought that would be a good mix for that profession. And then my career was in, in government affairs for several years. And then when I found the, the job opportunity to come to Greater Louisville, Inc., it was the vice president of government affairs. And I thought, this is perfect. I, I get to be a lobbyist for the business community, which was always the interest that I felt like I aligned with and wanted to serve. And uh, honestly, at the time, Greater Louisville, Inc. was not in a strong position. And I told myself, well, you know, I, I can go to this to this organization and it might not work out because we had gone through a number of different leadership challenges. Kent Euler had just been hired. And if I figured if it doesn't work out, I'll be in a good job market. And if it does, then I'm going to get to be part of something great, the turnaround of an organization that really does transform the lives of, of, of a whole community. So I'm excited that I made the move that I did. Always knew I wanted to, to serve as an advocate for the business community. And um, it truly has been a rewarding experience all the years I've been here. So, so Sarah, you know, I, I listened to your story and it, it's awesome. You're very upbeat and, and uh, you went through uh, several years with GLI. You built up GLI with Ken Euler, and, and now you become in charge of GLI. And then COVID hit, and then the protesting hit. So, what keeps you going in a positive manner? Because I can see you're still very positive and and very strong on what you want to do. What's what's keeping you, you know, in, uh, charged up to keep moving forward? Well, I, I wake up every day knowing that I can do something to change things. And I think that's how we all have to look at this. Uh, we have had a very difficult year in our community. And I think throughout the nation, we've all had a difficult year. It's been particularly difficult in our community because of the local losses that we've had. Um, I continue to believe that we have a, an inspiring future in our community. And that's what drives me, knowing that that is possible knowing that if we believe it, we can accomplish it if we work together. And I'm, I'm very um, grateful to the GLI board of, of which Denise serves on, because I think that they're providing excellent guidance, excellent leadership as we move forward in our community. It will be the business community that, that really changes the way we operate as a community. And I feel like we're on a good path for that. first became president, um, you had, there were goals and there were a lot of goals that were actually kind of coming out of Kent's reign and you guys had all worked on from a strategy perspective. And then of course, 
what mm-hmm. you you took this job what in February? I mean, that's when you became effective, right? Yeah. So uh, so you're what in there? Were you even yeah. in a month before everything hit with COVID? No, it was not. No, it was a month, and then it was six weeks before we had local cases. So you know, we all knew it was coming, but you know, six weeks, it was like, oh, it is here. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, quite a challenge, and certainly a, a gut punch. And I think in the beginning, we all didn't, we all thought it would go away quickly. We all thought, okay, well, let, you know, let's just work from home for a couple of months and, and, you know, stem this rising tide of cases. And then we'll all be back to normal. Here we are in October with this new normal. And we're still looking at, I mean, from what I hear from the reputable medical professionals in our community, we're looking at Q2 before there's a vaccine. So I think we continue to do all that we can as a business community to support the small businesses and the large businesses that are frankly struggling as well. So we have a number of challenges with this pandemic, but I feel like we've got um, good resources in place to help navigate the circumstances. But it was certainly a, um, certainly a, a challenge in the first couple of months in this role. So how do you see, uh, as you know, Denise and I own a few small businesses here in Louisville. Our events catering business has been dramatically affected in 2020. Uh, our other business, our, our property improvement business is just booming. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that people are out of work, but you can't hire anybody because nobody wants to work who are out of work. So how do you how do you navigate through all the company small businesses that have closed their doors and you know helping other companies that are looking for employees who can't seem to find uh, staff to you know build back up their business what how do you do you all get involved in that We have been very hands on in a lot of these in a lot of these things that you just mentioned um, part of our role is really advocacy, and we have advocated with the governor's office for certain guidance uh, restrictions to be loosened, and we continue to do that. We continue to see a lot of the restrictions that are holding businesses back. Um, and then also, part of it is advocating for resources, advocating with the federal government, sometimes it's with the state government, and then now the local government has some CARES dollars that can be used. But it's, it's about advocating for programs that will help these businesses. And um, pleased to report that Louisville Forward now has a, a grant program that, that they've been dispersing funds from for probably a couple of months now to help businesses. I mean, there's, they're kind of small amounts when you consider the, the trauma that many companies are experiencing. I think the maximum is $50,000, but every little bit helps. And, um, and that can save some of the businesses. But we also, you know, are doing things with our, our membership, like encouraging them to do takeout to um, just help some of the restaurants, because by far the most of the businesses that we've seen close are restaurants. And I think the events management space has, has definitely been hurt, as you just described, in a very big way. And it's it's looking like a long time before we can have actual events. So. I'm encouraged to see some of the innovation in the community about doing events virtually, but I really hope that we get back to doing those live in-person events as soon as we can for that industry. And then also just because I do think that there is a lack of connection when we're doing things virtually. I mean, I feel like we're more connected in some ways, but then we're also missing something too. There's, There's another ingredient here that we lack doing things virtually. 
So, you know, you got hit hard by COVID. We all did, right? And then now the, the I, I want to call it the civil unrest downtown Louisville, where a lot of companies, I used to work for Humana downtown. So I, I hear, I haven't been down there, but I hear there's a lot of windows boarded up and so on and so forth. Does that concern you going forward of all these large companies that have been kind of, I guess you want to say held hostage because they can't open their doors not only because of COVID, because, but also the protest. You know, I think that we have been through a number of phases in this since May, really. Well, since March. I mean, the, the Breonna Taylor killing occurred in March, and um, nobody really talked about it all that much until May. Um, and I think that was probably when the 911 tape was released and, and more information came to light about it. Um, there was a very violent night in May and, and really a few weeks there where there was a, a lack of safety, a clear lack of safety, a lack of a coordinated public safety response. And that um, led a lot of businesses to board up. And um, they have remained boarded up because of this uncertainty that was occurring over the attorney general decision. But I think we're at a point now after that decision and after we've had over a week and a half now of clear, I mean, it, it wasn't, it's not as though there was a lack of an incident in this, in this past 10 days, but we did not see the kind of violence or the lack of a coordinated public safety response that we saw back in May. So today uh, we're actually messaging that it's time to take the boards down. We recognize that there has to be this continued and dedicated commitment to battling these inequities. And we're doing that through a number of our initiatives. And we also recognize that there has to be this continued messaging and, and positive messaging about downtown in order for us to, to thrive. I mean, we have to have a strong downtown in, in order to have a strong economy. That's just clear. And then we, there has to be a continued public safety response that is coordinated, that is firm. We cannot allow, um, we cannot allow there to be damage and destruction and violence. There is a difference between violence and, and First Amendment protesting. And I think we saw a decent balance of that this past weekend. Again, it was not without incident, but it was also not the kind of violence we saw in May that went unaccounted. Um, People were held accountable, I guess. That's, that's great. It's good to see the, uh, I guess, that things are starting to swing back in the right direction. Yeah, I think so. It's going to take time, though. It's going to take time. Yeah. So you're right, and it will take time. And I think that's one of the things to note with the Greater uh, Louisville Inc. is that, you know, a lot of um, nonprofits or systems like you all, they, they have not survived this, or this has been a great struggle for them because they can't do the fundraising. You guys are not able to do the events, which is a huge fundraising tool for you all. So a lot of those things have been taken away from you guys as well. So, but yet you still have a great position, economic position where you guys are holding at right now. So you all have really navigated the waters really well through this. So what do you think are some of the key things that you did in the beginning that you saw the greatest impact from that helped get you guys through this crisis right now? Well, I, I believe that early on we demonstrated value. So that even the businesses who were hurting came to us and said, well, there is no way I would drop my GLI membership right now because you're the thing that's that's providing me the updates. You're the organization that's providing me the updates. You're, you're doing this advocacy that I need right now. So proving that value early on was important. We also slimmed down our operations temporarily uh, in, in ways that we knew we wouldn't be utilizing. So 
you know, we took some staffing measures for a few months there and, and now we're back up and running. We're hiring again. Um, also during these past few months, we have been finalizing the strategic plan that Kent Euler started working on and we just launched it earlier. Well, I guess mid September and um, that, that plan includes elements around inclusion and that's a very important thing that that our business community is working on right now. Businesses are really stepping up to commit to that cause. And it, it's also very relevant for what we're seeing in the larger community. So that the, the original taxonomy report that our plan is based on, which was a data-driven report published late last year, identified that one of the main things holding our community back is that we do not have diverse talent because the the talent that comes here that is diverse does not feel included in our community. Secondly, we do not have enough minority-owned businesses. So what I mean by that is businesses are not forming. Out of 16 of our peer cities, we're at the bottom of the list because we are so segregated as a community and diverse business owners do not feel like they have the resources or the connections in order to build their business. They don't feel like they're able to get into the door at a number of corporations. We're able to help with that. So that's what we're doing. We are forming a minority business accelerator to help those businesses grow. We are getting ready to host CEO roundtables that where we bring in people who can explain what it means like to feel or to be African-American or black in our community. What are the little things we do that, that, hinder that sense of belonging. So those are some of the things that we're working on from that plan. And I think that a lot of businesses really found value in that as well. So we have taken every crisis that has come our way and found a way to develop a value proposition around it to do, to, to address the things happening in the community. I was actually going to ask you my next question is, is with, with the this, the social unrest in this community is that the role that GLI plays. And I think that you just actually demonstrated a lot of that right there with everything that you said on that one. And so what is the next step then in trying to do that um, as far as like, what are some of the strategic things that the businesses are stepping in to help navigate through that and to help implement a lot of those suggestions that were being made. Well, I would say that the most immediate thing that needs to be done is we need to take the boards down. The boards right now, the boards, the fencing, the barricades, they initially served as public safety. You know, it was a response to a very violent night and weekend. Now they serve as a symbol of divisiveness. So that's the immediate thing that the business community really needs to do. And we know that that's not something where one person just decides that we know that conversations have to happen around that. Sometimes it's about tenants. Um, that that have or you're a tenant and you, you can't just make that decision, but conversations have to happen. In terms of the specifics behind the accelerator, we have a lot of businesses stepping up to contribute money for us to hire staff to work the accelerator. We also have a lot of businesses stepping forward to say, my business is willing to offer discounted contingency fee-based services or pro bono services to help minority-owned companies. And, and most of those categories are like law, accounting. So if you're a small business that's trying to grow and, and you have this, um, this major fee, sometimes that, that discounted fee makes a huge difference in your viability. 
It will also include a small business technical assistance component and a mentorship component, because one of the things that we've really heard loud and clear is that minority professionals don't really feel like they have a mentor that they can go to. So what can we do as a business community to provide that mentorship to make those connections? And then I mentioned the, the you know, the strategic connections to corporations. I mean, just today, I heard another story from one of the connections that we've made. One of our minority-owned businesses, one of our most successful minority-owned businesses, actually, in the, in the community. I referred um, an individual to that company, and I just heard today that they are doing business together. And then, you know, I also have, um, you know, witnessed some, some connections between um, other companies as well. Um, well, I probably shouldn't give the company names without asking, but I mean, we might I have a company out there that's using Ford vans instead of Mercedes in the near future. So those are the kinds of stories that really are exciting um, to, to see. It's exciting to see these companies grow and, um, and we're, and we're doing business locally. You know, that's important too. I mean, we're helping our local companies. It's, it's not the out of market connections. It's the in market. And, and if we're going to survive this pandemic, which threatens our economy. I mean, it already has done damage, but it continues to threaten our economy. We're going to have to think locally. We're going to have to do what we can as a community to grow and thrive. So Sarah, you know, some thoughts. Uh, Like I said, I used to work for Humana downtown and I know people, you know, you start to get people come back downtown to work back in the corporate offices and so on and so forth. But where do you see the nightlife part of that piece going? Because, you know, a lot of people would stay after work and have something for dinner, have a drink, go to the U of L basketball game. How do you see that unfolding in the next several months? Do you think people are going to start coming back downtown for the nightlife? I, I honestly think that's going to take more than a few months. If I'm being very candid, I think that um, right now with the nightlife, we have some restrictions in place on things like bars that are hindering activity downtown. So um, right now the, the, the guidance on COVID from the state government indicates that if you can work remotely, you should. And that if you aren't working remotely, you can't have more than 50% of your office space capacity. So that's going to hinder people from just being downtown. And then another element is, is the closure of the bars. And we have had our second highest day of COVID cases just yesterday. So we do have some challenges that we're going to have to work through before I see that nightlife really returning the way it used to. We certainly all want it to now, but it is going to take a little bit of time. It is really ironic. And I do remember when this whole thing hit and the first we we did the same thing as you. We had to reduce our staff as I mean, because people automatically it was just like somebody flipped the switch one day and everybody's calling to cancel or reschedule events. And and I remember when I had to do that first wave and I said, well, enjoy your vacation. We'll see you in three weeks, not knowing it would be a four or five month vacation before I would even start to bring any of them back. So um, it is definitely a different world in that. So going forward, because I think that since, since we've been so lucky to make national news with everything going on around here and COVID on top of that. Uh, And you guys definitely have your work cut out for you because I feel like GLI's mission in the past has always been to help grow existing businesses and make, help build a community that, you know, people can bring in help, 
to help staff their business, grow their business, and and invite you know other businesses to come. But now it's kind of, I feel like you're in the the seat of how do I just even help them survive at this point to get through this to the end. So if if um we're gonna try to change what that perception is to the community that says, hey, we're back open for business, we want you to come back, we want you to come back downtown. How do we do that messaging to get that word out, not even on just a local basis, but even a regional basis, a national basis from a vacation point of view and everything, even working towards 2021? Sure. It's a very good question. I really think that we have to have strong business leaders stepping up and saying, this is what we need to do. And um, I believe that we will all follow suit. And so GLI is doing all that we can to, to push that message. Um, I, we sent out a, a message today saying, take the boards down. I can't remember if I mentioned that or not, but it's, it's time for that. It's time for us to move forward. And we know that there has been a lot of national press. Our, our city is being mentioned in a negative way throughout the country right now, to the point that Oprah is taking out billboards in our community about it. So we have to change. We have to, we have to use this opportunity to show how the business community responds when problems arise. And the stronger our response, the quicker we will recover from this on the national scene. So I really want people in California, people in New York to say, I want to move to Louisville because of how quickly the business community responded to that crisis. So we can't prevent every crisis from happening, but how we respond is what matters. And the quicker that we make those commitments to equity, and I'm seeing a lot of those commitments already. I'm I'm impressed by how many businesses are saying, I want to help minority-owned businesses. I want to help bring diverse talent here. I want to help with policy reforms that will change how these things occur in the future. So that's what we have to do. We have to... We have to make such a strong commitment to equity that people in other states say, wow, that was a good response. Louisville's got something going. Well, I applaud you for that. And I think that's, I think that's exactly, I think you're exactly right. I think that um, as I've seen, even on the news, a couple of them that are taking the risk and saying, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to stay here and we're going to, we're going to enlarge our territory, our footprint here in Louisville. I know that we have, even, you know, we, we scheduled, I think, what, three months ago that our annual wizard event that we want to do that it's at the palace and we're going to keep it at the palace and it's Christmas week. And that's our goal is to still try to, you know, hopefully invite people in and the community and still we took a risk and said, you know, we're going to invest in this community and we think we can make this happen. So um, I think you're right. It's going to take it's going to take a joint effort on all that for everybody to step up and say, we've got to start supporting each other around here and, and send a message out to everybody else of this is the place you want to do business here because look at what we did. We didn't fall. We didn't crumble. We stood up. Right. I did want to just real quick, um, as we come here to the end a little bit, you, you mentioned in one sector um, how important mentors were. And I know that you've you've had a, a good mentor who's who's helped you through a lot of things, um, Avalyn. I think who was a, a former board chair. So, what is some I think, yeah. and I think especially in your role, being mm-hmm. the first woman that's in charge of GLI Chamber and this this role, and there's uh, even across the nation, it's this is I mean this is a big this is a big thing, and winning Chamber of the Year last year, and then tackling this. I mean, you have definitely showed your grit to, to say the least on that one. But what is some of the, I guess, uh, the best advice that you have been given that has helped you get through 
this time to move forward with everything? That's a good question. And yes, Evelyn has been a strong mentor for me. Um, She helped to get me into rooms that I wouldn't have otherwise been in. And she gave me hard advice, hard um, feedback on various different things that was really awful to hear at the time, but made me better in the end. So, um, so I appreciate that. I also, um, you know, have several other people that I consider to be mentors, but Evelyn was my former mentor and continues to, to be that. But I would say that the best advice that I have ever uh, come across or um, tried to live by is to stand on the promises of God and not the problems of life. So that is my faith is very important to me and it always has been. And when I think about what um, what the problems of life are, it can be very overwhelming. But I know that the promises of God greatly outweigh any problem in life. So I, I rely on, on that um, to get me through. And um, it's been very successful advice so far. That, that is that is great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to use that. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Please do spread the word. <laughs> Sorry now. That would be great. That's, that's great words of wisdom on that one. And um and I did want to ask you one other question. You have a fantastic team. Um, they are I they are all in unison. I mean, the, the wheels are all turned in the same direction. There's nobody going backwards on that one. So do you have any unusual methods that you've used? to help motivate your team? No, the best advice or the best thought I have about about management is to hire good people and let them work and remove obstacles that may impede their work and be there and and provide that overall guidance, but not to micromanage. And um, that hiring process is very important. I don't ever think it should be rushed. I think that identifying the right people and then letting them work is what's important. And I'm so pleased with our team. Our leadership team is fantastic. Um, Rebecca Wood, our COO, and Carla Wright, our CFO. Um, Iris Wilbur Glick, amazing. She does all of our policy now. She took my former role. And, um, you know, especially during this pandemic, I'm on the phone with each of them every single day. Um, John Lonis, our, our acting VP of Economic Development. I mean, these are amazing people. And I'm so thrilled to work every day with them and to do this amazing work that we do. Well, congratulations, because you guys are definitely doing a great job navigating through this this crisis on this one. And um, and again, I just want to emphasize, because you guys just didn't get dealt COVID, you got dealt a whole other um, issue on top of that. And and uh, hearing the the way the community is collaborating and how they're coming together, and I see you all leading a lot of that charge on that one. So um, congratulations and thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. Thank you again for the opportunity to be with you today. And thank you for serving on our board. It's so helpful to have you so engaged with GLI. Thank you for joining us today. And remember to check out Michelle's events and catch extended interviews with our guest at myemmystory.com. Let us know that you are enjoying the podcast and how we can help you. Friend or message us on Facebook at My Me Story Podcast. Yes, that's four separate words. Again, My Me Story Podcast with an S. Remember to grow your own story each day by living your life in the moment. Have a great week. We will see you next Thursday.